Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. We just want to thank you for the incredible gift you all are to all of us. And so if you're here today and you're new and I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, my name is Tim and we are so delighted that you are here with us this morning. And I just want to say in this whole business of honoring moms and fathers, I think there's an aspect of society that we neglect to honor and that is firstborns. Now hear me out, ladies. We made you who you are. So please keep that in the front of your mind today. All right, firstborns, I hope you just realized the bullet I just took for you because I'm going to pay for that later. You can just hear my mom later today asking me, what is wrong with you? Moms, we are so thankful for you and... Um, we recognize that for many of you, today is a difficult and challenging day. There are ladies in this room who want to be moms and are not yet, and um, recognize there are many of you here who have lost your mom, or you have lost a child, or maybe there's an estranged relationship with you and your mom, or a strange relationship with you and your child, and today is a awesome day, but it also comes with some challenges and some difficulties, and we recognize that. And today, I want to say, no matter who you are, no matter what difficulties you are facing, there is a God-given reason for you to rejoice, and that is you have been adopted into the perfect family of God, and we can celebrate that today. And so, I know there's a lot of you here, you don't have the legal title of mom, but you play a significant role in the lives of our kids. Maybe you're a grandma, maybe you're an aunt, maybe you're just somebody else. You have a significant role in the next generation, and we truly want to honor you and thank you for that. And so while there's different stages with different challenges and different victories, we also know that there is a common thread, and here is the common thread, that we are fighting a war for the next generation. So as we start, I want to share this passage out of Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, verse 25. This chapter in Proverbs is describing what a godly woman is. And in the context of womanhood and godliness, here's what the author of Proverbs says. She is clothed with strength and dignity. And she can laugh at the days to come. Now, I know, moms, sometimes life is so hard, so overwhelming, so daunting, you can either cry or laugh, right? And you're just like, well, <laughs> I'm just going to choose to laugh. I don't think that's what this passage is talking about. I think that this woman is not finding strength in her own being, but she is finding strength in God. And she can laugh because she is prepared. That she sees the adversity, she sees the metaphorical enemy on the horizon, and because she has a, a battle plan, she is prepared. She can look at it and go, ha, ha, I got this. I am ready to roll. And so how do we have a plan like that? And what does that plan look like? And so today we're going to look at five strategies or a five-part battle plan to fight the war against the next generation. And so think about it this way. Imagine you are 
at home and you are walking around your backyard and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a giant bear shows up. It stands up on its hind legs, arms raised up, and it is inches from your face and it just gives out this massive roar. What are the emotions that would stir up on you? I mean, if it's me, I'm going to scream like a junior high girl and run out of there. Now imagine that scenario right next to the scenario of you being in your living room, hanging out with your family, your friends, and off to the distance, uh, 200 yards out, you see a bear and it is wandering around and it is uh, raising up on its feet and it looks cute and cuddly. You might grab your, your phone, you might take a video or some pictures, you might grab your kids and say, look at the bear out there. And you're there and you're protected in your house and you're in your living room and you've got your bear spray next to you. And uh, what's the difference? The difference is not in the bear. The difference is in you. In the first scenario, you are unprepared, you are caught off guard, and you are scared. In the second scenario, you are in the protection of your home, you are prepared, and you have a plan. The godly woman that you are, the godly woman that you are striving to be, can see the challenges ahead of her, and because she has a battle plan in place, she can laugh at the days to come. So how do we do that? I want you to grab your Bibles and go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. In the life of Israel, God has promised Israel, you're going to get to go into this promised land. But Israel didn't believe they disobeyed God, and because of their disbelief and because of their rebellion with God, he brought Israel not into the promised land, but he brought them out into the wilderness, and they wandered around for 40 years. And eventually they had kids, and their kids grew up, and those adults, they passed away. And so God is saying, okay, this is to the next generation. Your parents, your grandparents, they didn't believe, they didn't follow, they messed things up. Here is a second chance. And so God is talking to that next generation. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1, he says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God, as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy life. Keep on remembering who God is. Keep passing this on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation so that you can enjoy life. As long as you live, you'll keep those decrees You'll enjoy a long life. Then verse three says, hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised. So Moses is writing to Israel saying, the family is so important and as you go about this next journey, and you go on this next adventure, 
I want you to be reminded over and over again the things that God is saying so that life will go well with you. And the thing about family back then is in ancient Hebrew, they all lived together. It was like a family compound. You had the, the dad and the mom, and you had the kids living there, and you had the grandkids living there, and everybody was living together. And they just kind of added on to their house. So generations, like you thought this millennial thing of like moving back in with your parents was like new, it's not, all right? They've been doing that for a long time. But the thing that they did back then is they continued to talk with their kids and their grandkids, and they were an army. They fought together for the next generation, teaching them, this is how you do life. These are the skills that are important. Pass these on to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. Galatians 6.2 says it this way. Carry each other's burdens in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, when you see somebody carrying a burden, it is heavy, it's weighing them down. Go and help them. Is being a parent easy or hard? It's hard. As a dad of five kids, there are some great moments filled with joy and love, and there are some moments that are just filled with challenges and difficulties and we need a village to raise our kids and the village that I'm talking about is the church that we need a family of faith to come around us to help us raise the next generation we need our church to fight the war for the next generation and so Here's what Romans 12, verses four through six says. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. That we have this thing, this amazing thing called the church where you have different gifts and abilities and skills and experiences to bring to the table that we all can benefit from. Whether you're a mom or a dad or just a neighbor or a person who calls Bridgewater home, we need you to help fight for the next generation. No matter who you are, because God has uniquely gifted you to love on the kids here at Bridgewater. Maybe that's not hands-on. Maybe that's behind the scenes. Maybe that's writing a note of encouragement. Maybe that's just praying for the kids in our kids' ministry or in our youth ministry. But we need you. And so the first strategy we have is use the army that God has given you. Use the army that God has given you to fight for the next generation. That's part of the battle plan. Lean on people. Let us help you carry that burden. We're not here to do the work for you. We're not here to replace you, mom. We're not here to replace you, dad. But we are here to come alongside you. So Moses continues in verse four. He says, hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down, when you get up. That word here in Hebrew is the word Shema. And this is a prayer that the Israelites would pray. It was called the Shema. It was like our version of the Lord's Prayer. And they would pray it in the morning and the evening because prayer was such a critical component to their life that they would not just talk to their kids about who God is, but they would talk to God about their kids. And as a mom, as a dad, as a grandma, as an aunt, as an uncle, we need to come along these kids and pray for them, continually talking to God about them, but also continually talking to our kids about who God is. And in that prayer, in that version of the Lord's Prayer, Moses says, when you walk with your kids, talk to them about who God is. When you take a drive to Wegmans or Aldi, talk to your kids about who God is. When you're sitting where you're sitting, talk to those kids about who God is and continually pray for them. Here's what 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. That doesn't mean that you and I should be praying 24 hours every single day. What it means is as you're waiting in line to pick up your kids, pray for them. As you're getting breakfast or dinner ready, pray for them. As you're waiting at that red light, pray for them. As you're waiting in the doctor's office, pray for them. As you're thinking through, like me, how am I going to deal with this child, this situation, this difficulty, this disobedience that just keeps coming at me over and over again? Pray for them. Often, as I'm facing a situation with one of my kids and I'm trying to figure out what's the best way to deal with their bad behavior or their disobedience, I'm praying and I'm asking God, God, I need your help. Give me wisdom. What do I say? What questions do I ask? What does discipline look like in this situation? Because God, I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do. Pray continually for your kids. So the second strategy is fight on your knees. If you want to win the war for the next generation, it starts by fighting on your knees with prayer. Then Moses in verse 10 says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So he says, keep talking about who God is. He is the sustainer and the provider. And as we think about how do we pray for our kids, maybe you're like me and you need some help. We printed off some, some cards and it says 31 biblical ways that you can pray for your kids. And so if you're like me and you need help, you need some ideas on how to pray for the next generation, you can find these cards back at that welcome table. 
these are here for you. Take these because I know I need a lot of help in figuring out how do I pray for my kids. So if you need that, that's for you today. And so as Moses is talking to Israel, he's saying, okay, family, keep reminding your kids. Keep reminding your grandkids over and over and over again. This is who God is. This is what is true about his character. Don't forget this because your parents, they forgot. Because they forgot, because they were disobedient, they wandered around. So family, keep talking to your kids. Keep pointing them back. Remember, this is how God provided here. Remember, this is what God did in our lives here. Remember, this is what God did here. It seems like God's not doing anything, but let me remind you. We have to remind our kids because we, we need that reminder too, don't we? We walk through life with tunnel vision and we forget how active that God is. And Moses is saying, be careful. Don't forget. God is the one that brought Israel out of slavery because he cares for the kids. In fact, I think that God loves your kids and my kids more than we do. And I know as a parent, you're thinking, oh, well, I don't know if anyone loves my kids more than I do. But it's true. God really does love your kids more than you do. He loves my kids more than I do. He is caring and watching out for your kids. Matthew 18, verses 5 through 6 say this. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Whoa, that got dark quick. What's going on here? Jesus loves the kids so much. He says, if you cause harm to a little kid, there's consequences for that. If you lead little kids astray, if you do anything bad or harmful to them, watch out. Because God loves your kids and my kids more than you do. He sees them as precious. Because the reality is, our kids aren't really our kids. They belong to God. My kids actually belong to God. I am just a steward of them. I just get to take care of them for a few short years. And so mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, we are stewards of these kids. So entrust them to him. Recognize if he's gonna change our kids, it's not going to be because I did anything. It's not because I'm so smart. It's because he got a hold of their hearts, and that's it. The third strategy is remember that God is fighting for them. You can entrust your kids to God. Notice what Moses says next in verse 13. He says, fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name do not follow other gods. Our kids are going to be pursued by other idols. There's idols that live in their hearts. There's idols that live in our hearts that are tugging at our heartstrings, that want our attention, that want our affection. And there are other idols that are chasing and screaming at our kids. 
Moses says, don't let them follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. Verse 15, for the Lord your God who is among you, he's a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Verse 20, in the future, when your son asks, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and the laws of the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him. Remind your kids, this is who God is. This is what he's done in my life. This is where he's brought me out of. Life hasn't always been easy. Life hasn't always been perfect. But here, God has been faithful. Remind them, tell them. Tell them, you were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. We've got to remind ourselves and our kids and the next generation over and over and over again about his faithfulness. What has he done? What is true about his character? Here's what Philippians 4.9 says. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Part of fighting for the next generation is setting the example, living out your faith. Living out your faith is more like karate than it is philosophy. I mean, have you ever known anybody who was really good at martial arts because they read a few good books? No, right? You can read a few books and talk about philosophy and sound really smart, use some really big words, and, and ramble off some big quotes and be like, wow. But you can't read three books and be like, I'm a master at karate. You've got to live it out. You've got to practice it. It's got to be all-encompassing. It's got to be what you do. That's the same with your faith. You've got to live it out. And we all know that actions speak louder than words. That doesn't mean that you need to be perfect. In fact, when you mess up, when you fail, take advantage of that opportunity. Shane and I, we try to go to our kids and, and when we have sinned against them, when we've been wrong, when we've been mean, when we've been angry with them, we try to go to them, we try to say, look, hey, what I said, how I said that, that was wrong. I should not have said that. Will you forgive me? That's gotta become the normal practice in our homes that we recognize our mistakes, we recognize our sins and our failures, and we go to our kids and we say, what I did, the tone I used, that was wrong. Will you forgive me? They have to see that in our lives. We have to normalize that. We have to live out our faith. And when we fail, when we make mistakes, we have to pull back the curtain and say, look, Daddy makes mistakes, mommy makes mistakes, grandma makes mistakes too. And I wasn't right. So live out your faith. Then, 
The fourth strategy is this. Be the adult you want them to grow up to be. Live out your faith. Be the adult you want them to be. Later in Galatians 6, 9, Paul says this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It is hard work to be a parent. It is hard work to do the right thing. It is hard work. And that's okay. That's good. Paul encourages us. He says, keep on doing the next right thing and the next right thing and the next right thing. Whatever it is, whatever the next right thing is at work, at church, in your family, at school, do that and work hard at doing the next right thing. So last strategy is this. Never give up on doing the right thing. If you want to fight for the next generation, it will require perseverance. It will require not giving up. We need you to help us fight for this next generation. We need all of you. The the 20-somethings, we need the 30-somethings. The 30-somethings, we need the 40-somethings. And the 40-somethings, we need the 60-somethings. Because here's what I know is true. As a dad of little kids, I need people who are ahead of me, who have teenagers and college-age kids to say, hey, Tim, here's what I learned. Here's where I blew it. And here's what I think worked. Okay, awesome, thank you. And when I have kids in high school, I need people who have gone before me say, hey, here's how we helped our kids transition from high school to college or high school to adulthood. We need you to fight for the next generation. And I need people who have gone before me to say, hey, here, hey, Tim, here's how I helped my kids transition into adulthood. Here's how I parent adult kids. We need you to help fight for that next generation. And it requires perseverance. So what does it look like? Perseverance is not perfection. It's just not giving up. So I want to share with you a short testimony from a lady named Tara. She is a member of our Montrose campus, and her story is about motherhood, redemption, and perseverance. And I want you to see how she never gave up. Take a look at this. I grew up in a Catholic household. At 14 years old, I was molested and went through a court process and everything, and that kind of turned me away from God. Then when I was 15, my boyfriend passed away in a car accident. Um, I was there with him when he took his last breath, and when they um, claimed time of death, I swore God off. I said, I, I, no more, no more. I've been hurt enough, and I turned my back. And after that, my life had a series of events. I was a runaway at 16, didn't go back to my parents until I was 18. Um, I had my first son, and I would almost mock God, I would say, you know. I believe in me. Um, I had a, a very bad car accident in 2006, and I almost died. The injuries that I sustained, most people don't come back from. I had a brain injury, and, and I came out of it, and I was out of the hospital within months, and okay, and instead of leaning on my faith and saying, God spared me, I said, 
I believe in, in the God of Terra. I, I believed in myself. I saved myself. I did all the work. I did this. I didn't change on that for a while. Then I met Amanda Moyer, who she was a nurse for caregivers at the time. And we had similar stories and similar experiences. And she opened up to me one day and she talked to me and she told me, she says, why don't you come to church with me? And I said, they don't want me in the church. They, the church will fall down on top of me. It will, no, it won't be a good situation. And she said, no, you, you can come and sit with Stu and I. And, and I did. And I was moved at the worship music. Then when Pastor Bob spoke, it was just, he sp I felt like he was speaking to me. Like, it wasn't about, you know, my past. It wasn't about the sins that I've committed. It, it's about overcoming them and getting past them and knowing Jesus already died for my sins, that I'm already forgiven. And I don't have to live in that, that, that despair. Um, and then in 2016, I had had my second son, and I asked Amanda, I said, Amanda, I think I'm ready to be baptized. I spoke with Pastor Bob, and I started doing the classes, and I got baptized, and Amanda told me, she says, be careful, watch, because now that you have accepted Christ as your savior, the devil's gonna work 10 times harder because he's like, no, I want that person back, you know? And I thought, no, I got this, it's, I'm good, I'm good, I'm praying, I'm going to church, you know? But I don't think I truly understood what it meant to surrender and give your life to Christ. You know, I, I just did the, the show part of it. Um, and 10 days after I was baptized, I relapsed after five years of sobriety. After I relapsed, I thought, oh my gosh, there's no coming back from this. I'm not forgiven. I'm not, this, this didn't work. God, God wasn't with me. He didn't, he didn't help me through this. I, you know, I, he was supposed to make me strong. So when that temptation came, that it would be gone. And it wasn't. Um, and that was a three year relapse. And I lost everything. I lost custody of my kids. I lost myself. I lost my self-worth. And it ended up where I, attempted my own suicide. When it was a failed suicide attempt, I knew that was the bottom I could believe in. And I said, God, okay, I'm meant to be here. You know, I tried, but I'm meant to be here. Help me. Um, I went to rehab the next day and cleaned up. And when I got out, I haven't looked back. I see other people struggling with what I've gone through. and. You know, that's what my purpose is, is to help people get through that and to let them know that there is a light, there is somebody with you, and he's waiting for you. He's been waiting for you. You just need to reach out. Ever since I did that, I haven't had a craving. I haven't had that, because I feel empowered. I feel like I'm not alone in this. You know, you believe and Jesus will be there and God will be there. It doesn't matter how low you have been. It doesn't matter what your past is. Um, I now have custody of both my boys, um, working on buying a house. I've got a full-time job. I work with those in recovery. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, person, a grateful person in long-term recovery. I have two and a half years this month. <laughs> um, and I just, 
and a lifetime to go, and I can't wait for what God has in store for me. If somebody is struggling with addiction, with trauma from your past, God has never left you. He's been with you, and He's going to be with you. He's waiting for you just to reach out to Him. Well, as you prepare to fight whatever battle you're in, just want to remind you of this strategy that we have for you. Number one, use the army that God has given you. Whatever the battle is that's right in front of you, use the army that God has given you. And number two, fight on your knees. Continue to enter into the throne room of grace and continue to talk to God about what's going on. And remember, God is fighting for your kids. God is fighting for you. God is right there in the midst of everything. Number four, be the adult you want them to be. Set the model. Lead by example. And number five, never give up. Continue to persevere. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that... um, You are the God of grace and mercy, and there's a lot of things going on in our lives right now. There's a lot of circumstances and situations that we just fully don't understand, but we recognize that you are here to lead us, to give us the strength, and we ask that you would help us to continue to persevere, to continue to do the next right thing, and pray for all of the families who call Bridgewater home families that are here today, the families that are missing, the families that are on vacation, the families that are struggling with sickness, that you would come around them and continue to guide and lead them. Father, help us to actively live out being the body of Christ for your glory. Let us fight for the next generation. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you guys to stand.